Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. Now, this week's guest is someone who I suspect will be very familiar to many of the listeners of this podcast. Dr. Kathleen Stein-Smith is a foreign language educator, and she is an incredible advocate for language education. She is the chair of the Commission on Advocacy for the American Association of Teachers of French, and she's a member of the American Translators Association Education and Pedagogy Committee. She is an active member in many foreign language education associations, as presented at numerous conferences, the author of, I should probably clarify, a number of books and numerous articles, has given a TEDx talk, has started the Association for the Advancement of French Language and Francophone Culture, the AAFLFC, which Tim Bouliou and I are both on the board of. Seriously, this introduction could probably go on forever, as Dr. Stein Smith has done a ton of amazing things. Kathy, welcome to the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. Jesse, it's so good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So before we get going, I would clarify. So how many books are you up to now? Uh, it's six, <laughs> and there is one in progress, nice. and uh, hoping for some news come November. I love it. Sounds great. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's start with your story, because for somebody who fights as much as you do for the cause of French language education, I don't think it's going to be difficult for the listeners of the podcast to pick up that you don't exactly speak English with a Quebecois accent. So maybe you can talk a little bit about kind of where you're from and how you got interested in French. I'm from New Jersey, as you can probably tell from the New York area. <laughs> yep. And um I became interested in French when I was really a young child. Um, my mother often said, just said and implied that French was just part of life for any person anywhere. You know, as a child, um, we made frequent trips to Quebec and I was just really amazed by the, um, the, the other kids, the coolness. They were great. And as a little child, of course, I was very interested in being like them. Sure. And uh, I wanted to speak French. And, um, you know, there are various, uh, we're not, we don't live terribly far from Quebec. And there were various uh, French-Canadian contacts. Also in my childhood, there was a neighborhood grocery store that was run by a French-Canadian family. Um, we didn't refer to them as Quebecois at that time back in the day. And, um, you know, when the time came, I certainly took French in school and started to take French in college, and then decided that I really wanted to go to Quebec to study French. And so I was uh, really fortunate. I was able to do my back spécialité uh, at the university in Quebec City at Université Laval, and I stayed on to do a master's degree. You know, that French has been part of my life really for as long as I can remember. But no, you're right. I don't have a Quebecois accent. <laughs> you know, pure Jersey. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Now, I'm curious. I mean, you, I've read this before. You know, you've gone on these trips to Quebec when you were, when you were young. Is there a reason why specifically? Because it just doesn't seem like I run into many New Jersey families who take their 
vacations up in Quebec? You know, you know, honestly, I'm not entirely sure. It there was, um, I mean, we went other places as well. We went to the Jersey Shore, sure, of um, course. <laughs> but we also frequently went to Quebec. Uh, my parents enjoyed it. Um, I think my impression was they also they knew people in Quebec. We went to visit people uh, in the Trois-Rivières area. Um, I guess they have probably old family friends. Um, and I remember once spending an Easter in that area as a very little child and just being in awe of the total elegance. And I was a little girl. So I was looking at other little girls. I was totally in awe of their elegance, on top of which they spoke French. So I wanted to be, I wanted to be like them. You know, then as time went on, of course, taking French and studying the literature and then coming to Quebec, to Quebec, that really changed me. The years I spent in Quebec, for the first time, started to be able to look at things from two perspectives. And the Canadian perspective and the Québécois perspective um, is unique in that we share the North American context. We share that um, history of having been a British colony but yet our trajectory has been quite different. And so we can look at um, the same issue and probably some aspects of it we will um, see in the same way because of that shared experience. But then, because we do have really a very different trajectory and a very different uh, current history, um, we can see them differently. And that was really eye-opening for me you know, back in the day, we didn't have the same kind of access to information that we do today. Um, I can turn on the TV in the morning and watch Radio Canada. And, but back in the day, you didn't have that access. And so for me, that was something that really, I think, changed my life. You know, we hear talk about education being transformational. And for me, that was really um, uh, transformational at the time. And it has stayed with me. Um, you know, and plus there's that factor, you know, you, um, we always talk about global languages and people didn't so much back then, but they talked about international languages. And, you know, we have English spoken around the world, we have French spoken around the world, and yet we have all these wonderful local uh, forms of language. And um, it was just wonderful for me to have the opportunity, you know, having, having heard a little bit of French growing up and uh, studying French in school, then to hear also this wonderful, you know, authentic North American French. And, um, you know, in the same way, I guess British English and American English are a little different. And um, I know sometimes the English Canadians that I ran into, they would say, oh my gosh, your accent, speaking English, that is not French. Um, that's a whole other story. But they say, oh my gosh, that accent when you speak English. Um, but it was really, it was a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, I don't think I would have really ever been able to do many of the things that I have done since, had I not had those years, that world-class education, and also the, the, the wealth that I experienced. Um, I was very impressed by the fact that um, the warmth of the Akitiquois and the Akitiquois you know, I remember the um, house mother at the student residence hall where I lived on campus. And I mean, she was wonderful. She took us all under her wing. She knew us all, she advised us. You know, I think of friends that I made when I was um, 
uh, at the university. Uh, most were Quebecois. There were a few who were other internationals like myself. And I can remember being invited to um, the homes of Quebecois friends you know, in Quebec City, but also I remember being invited to the home of a friend who lived uh, just south of Yimouski mm. and staying at uh, the family farm and camping out, going to the guest visit. Um, people really um, welcomed you, you know, and it didn't matter if so much that you were an outsider. They welcomed you, they made you feel at home. I understand that this town uh, is kind of a town that's constantly changing. And it's kind of one of the things that they're, you know, they're proud of here. Maybe you just talk about what did Quebec City look like when you were here? And how, how would that not be what I'm seeing now? Uh, Quebec City, of course, is known um, as being I believe, the only fortified city still with its walls intact in North America. And, you know, at the time, there was the Terrasse Picarin, Chateau Fontenac, just like the one <laughs> behind me there. That's, that's right. And um, the, the Plaine d'Abraham, the Citadelle. Um, they had at the time, you know, I was, um, I'm going to date myself here. Um, I was um, at Laval at university um, in the years probably shortly following the uh, Révolution Tranquille. Oh, sure. And um, it was an exciting time. There was a lot of awareness of language. Um, it was a real sense of being at the center of something very, very important. There was the passage of the Official Languages Act. And I know one of the things, for example, that happened while I was in Quebec, one of the like, public uh, happenings was the building of what they called the Dependa Théâtre de Quebec. And to me, coming from the New York City area, immediately to me, I made the comparison to Lincoln Center, which had not been built so many years before in New York, but they were these um, you know, cultural initiatives. Sure. And I know at the university, there were constantly, there were speakers from around the world, especially the Francophone world, but from generally around the world. And there were all kinds of events going on. So you really had the sense that you were at the heart, not only of a culture and a culture um, with a capital C, but you had the sense that you were at the heart of something changing, it was the brink of great change. And there was this sudden, these de conscience, of, of the real value of French. And um, it was honestly um, something that I took with me. You know, there uh, before, I guess probably a couple of years before I moved to Quebec, before I went to school up there, um, there was a famous visit, of course, it was President de Gaulle's visit. Yeah. And uh, his famous quote um, at the end of his speech. And um, this was all in the air at that time. You know, when no, I attended, awesome. um, yeah, um, when I attended the university, it was really, it was, it was a very exciting time. Now, obviously, many years have passed, and everything, certainly uh, cities change along with the time. Um, back in the day, the Place Royale, that was actually something that was, I believe, still underway, the restoration of the Place Royale. Oh, wow. But um, much of what you would see today I'm sure is different from what I experienced as a kid and I've only been able to be back to Quebec a couple of times really since then but um, you know um, but I think the, the spirit of the city is the charm 
you know, European, but not European, North American, but not um, that that charm, that that elusive quality um, that is is so uniquely Québécois. That's so cool. That's such a neat town to be here, and you definitely need lucky to come you, Chasseur yeah. yeah. I, I am very, very lucky. You were here at a very awesome time to be a student here. That must have been incredibly exciting. That's so that's so cool. You definitely need to come back and check out Place Royale. It's probably my favorite neighborhood on the planet. Those who uh, <laughs> those who are Patreon subscribers know I've sent quite a few videos of my time there. <laughs> Place Royale. It's a fun place I like to hang out. Uh, something I want to kind of get back to you from your introduction. Uh, I want to ask about it specifically. I didn't miss it on purpose, but I wanted to make sure to ask about it. Um, you are a chevalier dans l'ordre de palme académique. Can you explain what this is? <laughs> and how did you, know, that, you that, become remotely close to pronouncing it? <laughs> you, you were perfect. 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 Um, you know, that was honestly the greatest honor that I have ever received. Awesome. You know, it's an honor um, given by the French government and recognizes uh, contribution. You know, I, I remember clearly um, uh, my, um, uh, the, the, the decorating, the decoration ceremony, the, um, my family and I went to um, the Albertine, which is a, um, a, a building in New York, a famous mansion in New York, adjacent to the French consulate and, um, you know, opposite Central, Central Park. And it was an official ceremony where the French Cultural Council counselor actually placed the ribbon, you know, on my lapel. And um, it's an organization founded in 1808 by Napoleon. And um, you know, I cannot think of any other honor that I've ever received that has really touched me so deeply. Um, being thanked uh, for really and. In my mind, for what? Because honestly, um, French language and Francophone culture and all the people I've met, the experiences I've been able to have, the world-class education I received in French in Quebec. I mean, I've been on the receiving end. So honestly, to be thanked for the, the small things that I'm able to do, um, to just to talk about how really wonderful um, French can be in your life as part of your life, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, it moves me just to think about it. Yeah, let me suggest that they're uh, not exactly small things, the contribution you have done for the French language and French culture here. This is very, very awesome. Do you actually remember uh, where you were when you heard? Because I can't even imagine getting like a phone call or somebody telling me that I was about to get this honor. That's so, that is so cool. Well, you know, I'll tell you the truth. When the... Um, actual certificate arrive and it's an actual certificate you know in a folder in an envelope signed by the french minister of education the certificate arrived um at my home one morning i was at work <laughs> and um i got a call from one of my sons i have three grown sons all wonderful i got a call from my son saying you know mom there's this big envelope here from the french government and I said, oh, I said, you know, put it on, on the table, keep it safe, you know, until I get sure. home tonight. Sure. And he didn't tell me, but he actually hopped in the car and brought us to me at work that morning. Oh, wow. So that's, that's cool. I was sitting at the desk um, in the library where I worked. And um, actually, that was when I received it. 
That is a great day. Very, very, very it cool. It was. It was. Oh, that's awesome. Um, one thing I want to get to, obviously, talking about some of the work you've done, um, was your TED Talk. I think doing a TED Talk is amazing. How did that come about? How did you end up giving a TED Talk? So that was um, actually a very amazing experience for me. You know, I had um, always been like a French teacher and a librarian, a librarian and a French teacher. And um, I had it at mid-career. You know, my kids were basically in, I guess, high school at that point. And I had become very interested in our university's mission of education for global citizenship. And my thing really was, how on earth are we going to be global citizens if we can't talk to each other? And I, in my own mind, this idea of multilingualism and global citizenship, and French is a global language, and started to come together. You know, I, I went back and um, did my doctorate, you know, at mid-career, late career, whatever. And that really set me on a different, um, again, that was transformational. Um, not to the same extent because I was older at that point, but that was also transformational and really set me off on a different trajectory, realizing that um, education is such a blessing. You know, not everybody is fortunate to um, have an education and that therefore you have to use it. You know, you can't just go to school and then, you know, sit on it and um, sit on your diploma and, and, and say, okay, you know, I'm done. You have to then use that education to help others, to make a difference, to try to make things better. And it was really um, getting that doctorate that started me on the path of more professional engagement. Now, I mean, I had started out certainly as a foreign language teacher. And then, you know, I had kids and I was busy and I was working and I wasn't doing as much. And um, so I really thought, you know, I was blessed. I got to go back to school, get my doctorate and work. And, you know, my family helped a lot. They did so much for years. Then honestly, um, I thought I really have to do things. And so I started trying to, to help, try doing maybe going to conferences. I wrote a book written on my dissertation, written not really on my dissertation, but after the dissertation. And the university, unbeknownst to me, the university where I worked as a staff member, um, they decided they were going to do a TEDx talk. And um, I guess they had gone through the whole process of arranging for this. And the theme really was about caring about the world. And I was invited to participate. Wow. That's awesome. And it was, um, I was honored. And, um, you know, I was in excellent company. The other speakers um, at the event were wonderful. And it was really, I remember um, hearing from one of the deans of the university, you know, we'd really like to have you do this, you know, um, we'd like to hear your thoughts on this. And so that was really, and I just said, yes. Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, you hear about, so, I mean, the efforts that people go to just to have the opportunity to take part. Like, multiple attempts at applying to be able to give a TED talk. So I can't even imagine just sitting around and having somebody be like, you know what, we would like you to give one for us. I think that is so cool and so neat. Now, the title of your talk, I mentioned that, was the 
U.S. foreign language deficits, what it is, why it matters, and what can we do about it? So I guess big picture, what is, what is it? Why does it matter? And what can we do about it? Okay, um, that is a big picture. The U.S. foreign language deficit, not enough Americans speak other languages. Right. You know, for example, um, if we compare uh, the U.S. to, for example, Europe, many more young people in Europe have the opportunity to learn another language from the very from a very early age. Sure. And so when they finish high school, they can actually be quite proficient in, you know, several additional languages. In the US, we don't have that opportunity. A lot of elementary schools do not offer foreign languages. In fact, most of them don't. Most public elementary schools in the US do not. There's not a lot of continuity. There, not every middle school offers a foreign language. You know, and so only about 20% of, and just under 20% of US students actually study an additional language. So, but why does this matter? It matters because foreign languages are needed. They're needed certainly in um, our communities. The US is more multilingual than it has been in the last hundred years. And it's needed in business, it's needed in government, it's needed in um, the, the public sector. It's needed globally. It really, it does matter. It impacts our ability to um, be, I guess, fulfilled as individuals, okay? Um, it also robs us of the cognitive benefits, the academic benefits of language study. It also makes us less able to get out there in the broader world and work with others on addressing important issues um, like uh, climate change. Or I'm sure in the conferences now, I mean, I'm not a medical professional, but I'm sure in conferences where we're discussing how to address uh, things like COVID, there are people there from all parts of the world. And um, sometimes it is a lot more direct if you can certainly understand what a person is saying in their language rather than having to go through a translator or translation all the time. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned in the cognitive benefits, because that was actually something I was hoping to bring up, because you uh, wrote an article that was actually really interesting, titled, you know, Seven Reasons to Learn a Foreign Language. And the second one was, it boosts academic achievement. And I would think it'd be cool if you could talk about that, because I think a lot of times there's a misconception about this, and I have certainly come across it, I'm sure. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of studies that have shown that the, they've demonstrated the benefits of bilingualism. And the cognitive benefits are, um, you know, and there are studies that have shown people can reason better people can, uh, they do, um, students do better in school, they have academic achievement. There have been studies about SAT scores in foreign language studies. Um, there, are, there are also studies about how bilingualism especially benefits um, low-income children. And um, it goes on and on. Now, it's not a, a black and white kind of thing. It's not like a pill that you might take, like you take an aspirin or something. Sure. Um, that if you study a foreign language immediately, it's going to transform you. But there are an awful lot of studies that point to benefits um, in many people. But these benefits do vary 
depending upon the type of bilingualism that you have, how well you actually know the other language, how you learned it, how you use it. And people themselves are also not the same. So not every child who takes language X in preschool is going to have the same exact SAT score at the university level. Sure. People are different. But by and large, youngsters that have a chance to study an additional language do have uh, an array of benefits. And the neuroscientists certainly um, can explain this in a lot more detail than I can, but the evidence really is irrefutable. It's um, language, the, the opportunity to learn another language is something really that is beneficial. It's beneficial to the child, to the person. It's beneficial to um, our economy. And I'm not putting these in any particular order. Sure, sure. Um, there have been um, two recent studies done um, that, um, that companies in the US um, need more people with language skills. They don't have the people they need. They estimate, there are estimates of the percentage, the dollar amounts of income, of revenue that they are losing because they don't have enough language skills. You know, the language capacity of the United States is in deficit. It's not sufficient to meet the needs, the demands of American business and industry. So that um, it becomes it's a professional advantage for a child also. There are studies that will show that two people with the same skills, the person who is also has skills of, in another language and knowledge of another culture, might be more likely to obtain and to keep employment than someone that does not, with all things being equal. Um, so yeah, there is this, this deficit, this gap between supply and demand. I'm not sure if it's decreasing now. You know, the United States has had an interesting transformation. In the 19th century, there were lots of people coming into this country from, from mainly a lot from Europe. Sure. And um, they brought all kinds of languages into the Americas and also into Canada, where you are right now. And um, there were lots of bilingual schools and there were people who spoke other languages. Now, of course, the world society is quite different at that time. But there were schools that um, there were bilingual schools and there were lots of people at, around you that spoke sure. other languages. And then in the 20th century, that diminished slightly. There were laws um, that encouraged the use of English in public settings and um, the use of other languages and learning of other languages tended to decline. The number of native speakers in our communities was declining. And now, I mean, there are signs out there that because now, again, once again, there are numbers of people in the US, large numbers of people, who speak other languages in the home again, that maybe it's time to sort of reimagine um, foreign languages and other languages. I don't like to call them foreign really because they're not. Yeah, French is an American language and absolutely. really is any language foreign. There's probably somebody down the street that speaks it, any language that we can think of. Sure. But maybe it's time to re-envision other languages as something that if we're uh, English speakers, it will help us in a lot of different ways. It even sort of staves off 
the onset of dementia if you regularly use more than one language. So it benefits the child. It's sure. a career benefit. It also benefits you in your old age. But on the other hand, there are also all many, many millions of people coming to the country who speak another language in the home. And so you've got these sort of two groups of Americans. We who most of us spoke another language or our families spoke another language at one point. Right. And maybe we want to reconnect with that language or with a new language. And maybe also we need to think of um, maybe maintaining that language capacity among our newest Americans, people coming into this country, children and families where another language is spoken. Um, language educators like to call that heritage languages. Maybe we need to also cherish these languages, safeguard them, make them part of the skill set, the overall skill set of Americans. So there, there is kind of this movement, I think, back toward um, resurgence of language use and language learning in the U.S. Um, because of telecommunications, the ease of travel, because of perhaps more people coming to the U.S. now once again, bringing other languages with them. So it really, um, all of our languages, I mean, there are, I think I saw there were 2 million people in the U.S. who speak French in the home. There are um, anywhere between, I've seen figures from 10 million to 16 million people who are of French heritage. Now, that could mean descendants of the earliest explorers. Sure. It could mean, um, uh, it could mean uh, somebody whose grandparents arrived here. It could mean somebody who uh, just came here in search of a different life. And maybe we should keep those languages now. Maybe not try to assimilate them. And that we would all be perhaps better for it. No, I like that message as a descendant of Maturin Martineau, myself. No, this is very, very cool. Uh, and I liked the, the whole discussion of the SATs because, you know, as we've talked about before, I'm a, the first generation in my family who did not grow up speaking it. And I've obviously through the podcast, especially had the opportunity to meet quite a few people who are in a similar situation than I am. I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard that the reason or a reason, maybe not the reason, but at least a reason why they were not taught is because their parents were worried that learning French is would hurt their English skills and they're therefore hurting in school. So, good. You know, that's true. There, there was a feeling uh, among many, it's a, a myth that right. um, learning more than one language would confuse a child, hold them back, possibly expose them to being um, uh, stigmatized, you know, and parents hesitated because every parent wants the best for their child. Of course. And, um, so there was that, that, that pressure, there was that metaphor that existed for probably the first hundred years or so of our history called melting pot. Sure. And, um, you know, your grandparents, probably um, all of our grandparents, and sometimes our parents, um, you know, went through that, that coming to, coming to America, therefore meant kind of leaving your language behind and learning English. I know uh, one of my grandmothers uh, spoke German. Oh, wow. And um, and I am I'm really terribly sad that I really do not speak German to any great extent. You know, she spoke to me when I was a child, sure. and um, you know, as nature happens, you know, the older generation passes, 
And in my life, you know, I went to German school, Deutsche Schule, um, for a while. Oh, but wow. I really, I really haven't had a lot of opportunity to use. I studied German in school, but That's I haven't awesome. had a lot of opportunity to use it. And no, it's not because I don't speak German as well as I would like to, or as well as I should. I got you. But you have that exposure anyway. That's not something a ton of people have. That's pretty cool. But I think most most of us, if you turn around and talk to most people, there was somebody in their life. Um, a grandma, an auntie, mom or dad. In your case, you talk. I know you've talked about your grandparents. You know, most of us have that experience in our lives, and I think if we can bring that back for ourselves, for our children, and uh, for our society in general, yeah. I, personally, I think we'd be better for it. Okay. Yeah, you, I'm sold on the second language discussion for sure. But I, in addition to that, obviously, I think of importance to listeners of this podcast specifically, I'm not sure anybody makes a better case for why French specifically. So now you got me sold. We should definitely learn a second language or a third language, whatever, a different language. What, what is the advantage of learning French? What's the benefit of me studying French in school? You know, it's interesting that you asked that question. When there were all kinds of reasons for learning a language. And when a student asks me, what language should I take? What language should I learn? then I'm, and I'm not being, trying to be um, troublesome, but I'll say, what language would you like to learn? Sure. All right. And the best language for anybody to learn is the language they want to learn. Okay. Um, and it could be a family language. It could be a culture that you're attracted to. It could be um, the language of a significant other, sure. uh, a culture that you're interested in. Yeah, all, there are all kinds of reasons, as many reasons as there are people. But specifically for French, um, there are, I mean, certainly uh, reasons that come to mind, and there are so many numerous, numerous, numerous reasons. I'm sure I'll forget many, many of them. <laughs> but um, today, I'll, I'll think later, oh, I should have said that. But actually, I mean, there just is the, the place of France and the French culture, French literature, French history, French art. French lifestyle in the world. Historically, uh, France has contributed a great deal to our culture. Um, much of what is the United States was once uh, a French colony. Sure. Um, and so French is a great world language. It's also our language, okay? a language of where we are, our, our what is now our country. It also, um, you know, French um, is spoken around the world. Generally, it is considered the only other global language. You know, there are many international languages, sure. but French and English are typically, or English and French, depending how you want to put them, are considered really um, the only two languages that are spoken on all continents. If you have French heritage, you might want to dig deeper into that. If you don't, even, you might be interested in a language that is spoken everywhere that opens doors to wherever you may go. And, of course, it is also, I mean, Bloomberg put out a study that French is one of the most useful languages for business. The World Economic Forum published an interesting article, how French is among the most. And they said powerful in the sense of influential languages in the world. Yeah. Um, there have been several studies done recently. One was done by the New American Economy. One was done by ACTCAL. 
that French is one of the most uh, highly demanded um, languages in the U.S. workplace. So you've got the, the, the culture, the lifestyle, the soft power of France. You have the fact that it's our language from the very beginning and is so today. And you've got the incredible benefits that French can give you, you know, in the workplace, in travel, in being able to connect with people everywhere. You know, it's the arguments they, I mean, we could be here for the rest of the evening. And, and, um, <laughs> but the, the, the arguments for French are really, really endless. Yeah, it would probably work for me. I'm sure probably you got things to do after this. But now I could talk about that forever. It did remind me, though. Because you been, I wrote it down the set that's because I love it. You wrote French, the French language is our language. And it reminded me of something you actually said on the North American Francophone podcast with Claire Marie Brisson. You talked about a sign you saw from Missouri, which I thought was super, super neat. Trois cents ans et on est toujours. On est toujours That's yeah. amazing. You just explain what that is because I don't think any, a lot of listeners would expect to see that in Missouri of all places. You know, growing up in New Jersey, um, I was not as aware as a, as a kid that so much of our nation had actually been part of France, had been part of La Nouvelle France sure. for hundreds of years. And, um, you know, if you go in the center, everybody knows about Louisiana and New Orleans. But then, I mean, if you look at the rest of the country, you'll get St. Louis, you'll get Detroit, Boise. Um, most people don't realize that that's Boise or Wooded. Um, the Carmelin, the ski area out there. Um, you, so many place names uh, indicate really where the French were in this country. Louisiana was huge. What sure. we now know as Louisiana is a very small part of that. Um, in Missouri, I mean, the area of um, Saint Geneviève, um, I believe, has just become a national park, part of our yes. national park services. Yep. But that was originally a, a French speaking area. And of course, the, the Missouri sign, um, 300 years, we are still here. You know, and there is still, there are musicians who are still singing in French in Missouri. And there's certainly, you know, in Louisiana, we have many Louisiana friends and French is really extremely active in Louisiana. We have um, French speakers in Detroit and of course, but the, I guess the probably uh, many French speakers also are here in the Northeast of the United States. Um, and of course we have Maine, um, we have um, areas like New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. The French language history goes back for hundreds of years. Right. And, um, you know, it's just, it's sometimes, it had been a little, I think, forgotten. And I think it is worthwhile to take a look at that and to really honor that part of our history. So one thing I did want to talk about, because um, you've t mentioned it in a bunch of different places, uh, you've stressed um, that kind of like the maybe the real key or maybe one of the more important things actually for the future of the French language or any language in the United States is that people actually use the language. So we're talking about using it at home, on the job, that kind of thing. So how do we promote this? Wow, that is really the big question. You know, um, it is one thing, and it's an important thing, to give every interested learner the opportunity to learn French, to learn additional languages, French in particular. 
and we have to support our schools, our educators at all levels. And um, but we also have to realize that when kids are, are, are young, they go to school, but then there's the rest of the day. It's all the times that they're not Absolutely. in school. Right. So we have to give them opportunities, and we should give them opportunities to use French after school, on the weekend, in the summer. And we have to make those opportunities accessible, accessible to all, okay, and affordable. And we also have to provide um, something to do when you're done with school. You know, if you um, you become bilingual and you say you you take a foreign language, you go to an immersion program, you study foreign language all the way through school, and then you finish school, and then there's nothing. Years pass, and you forget that language. You know, it's sort of, you don't totally forget it, but it's no longer part of your life. Right. And a language has to be part of your life. Otherwise, it, it recedes, it shrinks. Um, you can make it come back. You can relearn, reacquire. But it loses value. And the one thing is, I think young people need to see that a language has value to them. Sure. And, and value can be having fun, creative opportunities, music, uh, cultural events. But another part of life really is the professional sphere. And we really need to, on the one hand, provide opportunities for young people, for students, to learn pre-professional language, to learn um, how to write an email in French to learn how to read an invoice in French, to learn how to conduct an interview in French um, or be interviewed in French. And we need to provide opportunities then for students, for young people to use this. We need to develop uh, career pathways. For example, internships, experiential learning. You know, and they can be internships in local communities. There are businesses uh, in many parts of the United States that actually use French and internships in these companies, giving our youngsters the opportunity to see that French can really be a living part of their life, that it's not just something that lives in our school books and in our classrooms, as wonderful as they may be. But, you know, they always say uh, there's the other 16 hours of the day. And then, God willing, you know, all those years after you finish your education, that you still want to be using French or that we want people to be using French. And people should be able to. But I think that whole thing is providing opportunities for children, um, camp programs, after school programs, Saturday programs. And they can be community based. Um, They can be relatively low cost. And there's also... Um, then these, this career aspect. What do we do for the young adults? They have to be able to have a cultural center to go to, events to attend, um, you know, cool things to do where there are like-minded people. Right. And then, of course, there's work. How are you going to? How is this, you going to make this skill work for you in the workplace? And um, you know, there are there are a lot of great things going on. There are. are graduate programs in pre-professional French, there are internships, there are experiential learning opportunities in local businesses, but I think those are areas where we need to do more. It, as long as French or any language 
just stays like something in a book in a classroom. As wonderful as school and books are, there there is that whole rest of life. And you know, you have French has to live in that part of your life too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know you in the school I'm I'm at now, the they, so they stress from day one that you can leave with all the skills in the world, but it's gonna be just as important what you do you are no longer attending the school as what you did here as far as make sure to keep the language um, and what you the that entire answer actually I, I wrote it down to remind me of a lot of the work that the new foundation is doing down in new orleans that's that, like what you were describing seems like exactly what their mission is and what they're trying to do and they're doing some really really amazing things down there for sure well you know if we're talking about um louisiana um there also have been a couple of um, french language job fairs and if memory serves, they were co-sponsored by the French consulate in, in Louisiana, along with Tulane University. Uh, they're also in Louisiana with that WE initiative, which I believe was a CODAFIL initiative, um, encouraging local businesses, I believe primarily centered in the Lafayette area, to use French. There have been tourism uh, initiatives in New England, I believe, in your state, in New Hampshire, um, to... Um, you to use French as a tool. Uh, my big thing is always using languages as a tool to make the world a better place. So there's also that side when you're talking to young people. Children and young people want to make the world a better place. It's what young people are about. Sure. And French is a great way to do that. French plays a huge role, for example, in global health. France has always played a, has always played a leadership role in global health. That's an area where French language skills can come into play. In terms of the sustainable development goals, the final goal, goal 17, is partnerships for goals. Best way to be a partner is to be able to talk to a person first. So I think also that idea of the language is wonderful in itself. I mean, I know you and I could go on and we could talk about the beauty of French endlessly, but also to use French as a tool to make your world, your community, and the larger world a better place. Language as a tool, and that's also something, whether it's a tool for your own self-actualization or whether it's a tool to, um, to, to help others. Um, that's also a role of languages. But to bring language, you know, to transcend the classroom, to bring it beyond the classroom and into our day-to-day. Now, I mentioned in the, your bio, I can't let this discussion end without plugging a couple of things. The first thing I want to plug is the AAFLFC, an organization I can mention myself and Tim Bolio are very excited to be a part of. Maybe you can just let everybody know what that organization's about, why you thought it was a good idea to get it together. It all really started for me when the COVID pandemic hit. And universities were uh, closing and people were at home. And, you know, I initially thought it could be looked at as an opportunity perhaps to learn a language, French. Sure. But more importantly, it was important to keep that conversation going. Uh, all of a sudden, we were cut off. Conferences were canceled, classes weren't meeting, people weren't traveling. And it, it occurred to me that really French in the U.S. is important, but if 
like anything else, it, it has to be supported. It has to be nurtured. Sure. And when COVID came along, I feel like, you know, we really have to keep this great conversation going about um, bringing French more to the forefront in American life, increasing awareness. And how are we going to do that? You know, the idea of bringing together people who are doing different things, great things in different parts of the country came to mind. And, um, you know, I had run into several of you on different occasions through social media, through reading uh, articles uh, that you had written. And I started to reach out to you. So sometimes then people would say, you know, things grow organically and say, oh, well, you know, do you know so-and-so? And I might say, no, but they would be great. They're doing great things. And so this group has kind of, of come together of like-minded people across the country and beyond, but like-minded people across the country <laughs> who are doing great things for French in the U.S. Different things in different ways in different parts of the country. Some of you all knew each other previously. Some of you did not. And um, I think, frankly, what we've been doing, we've been keeping the conversation going in a variety of ways. We've been um, sharing our events, the different things that we do. Um, I know uh, you and Tim, I know you did a great team event. And I know you have, of course, this wonderful podcast that every quote unquote, everybody knows that everybody listens to everybody knows Jesse Martin now. Um, but there are people all across the country. And, um, you know, what we're really trying to do is keep that conversation going. Because if we don't talk about it, if we don't raise awareness, if we don't um, get the word out to people who maybe have thought a little bit about learning a language, maybe have thought a little bit about revisiting French language and culture, maybe they thought about, well, gee, grandma came from France, or I have a French last name, but I don't know why, or gee, the town I live in has a French name. Um, or, gee, maybe I remember those childhood trips to Quebec. It was such a wonderful place. Right. You know, um, to keep that conversation going, to share, I guess they talk about a synergy where you bring a bunch of great people together with great ideas, doers, not just talkers. And it's amazing how the ideas seem to automatically, they, they expand. People and new ideas appear. And um, I hope that's what's going to happen, that we keep the conversation going, we take it to podcasts, we take it um, possibly um, to conferences, we take it um, into the literature, and we um, get the word out, each one of us in our own community. And I think, honestly, it's been such an amazing experience for me to work with all of you. You know, I consider you now all part of my extended family. Um, you can come see me in New Jersey anytime, <laughs> and um, you may not want to, but you're welcome to. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I really, um, I think you're all doing wonderful things. I have the utmost respect for organizations. You mentioned the New Foundation for the Franco-American Center in uh, New Hampshire and Manchester, for Codafil, for many of the other organizations. I don't want to leave any of them out um, in this country, and for all the people who either on their own or within a group or within an initiative are doing great things to get the word out that this is part of who we are, our French heritage. It's a great heritage. 
and it adds an extra dimension to whatever else our heritage may be. And I have to very much, even on a personal level, thank you for having started this because thanks to some of the connections I've made through being a part of this organization, it's like you mentioned, like people who introduce you to other people. I've had multiple meetings up here in Quebec City with people that I never would have met if I had not been a part of this organization. So I very much appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. It's been awesome. It's a great idea. But the other thing I did is mention we got to plug a couple of things. You have a blog. So we got to plug the blog. So what is the, why did you want to start a blog? And what are you hoping to accomplish with your blog? You know, um, I started a blog um, quite a few years ago, I think probably back in 2015, 2013. And it was really to talk about languages and um, what's important about languages. And it's called Language Matters. And I do think language does matter. It's not just about language matters, but language does matter. And um, it was a way of getting the word out. You know, social media is a way to get the word out. Podcasts like yours, that's another way to get the word out. Podcasts like um, Glamourese, North American Francophone Podcast, another way to get the word out. Uh, there's books, magazine articles, then scholars do, they do research, they compile data, they publish reports, people speak at conferences through professional engagement. And then there's that great person known as a really a community uh, activist or community organizer. I think there is so much that can be done to support education, but also to uh, build on what the educators do in our communities. There are so much, there are organizations like yours that really bring French into the community, offering events and classes and conversation groups and offering maybe, um, you know, contests, opportunities to be creative uh, for people of all ages. And that's another thing you really, when you're talking about French language and Francophone culture, you also have to remember that um, we've all been, or many of us have been in North America for a long, long time. And not everybody is as close to that language. I know you mentioned in your family that you were the first generation not to speak French, mentioned that earlier. Yeah. But there are people who've been here for hundreds of years and maybe have lived in an area that there wasn't a lot of French around them. And so there are people who are feel very connected to Francophone culture, but who are hundreds of years away from that language. And they're really, it's not just about speaking the language as much as that's wonderful and is certainly a, a, a huge part of culture. But there's also, there is a place for people who don't yet speak French and may not speak French at any ever. There's also a place for them in these kinds of community organizations. There's lots of room for cultural activities also for people of varying degrees of fluency. You know, people who speak the language can take the lead. They don't necessarily have to be the leaders, but there's place for everybody. You know, just like there are place, there's a place for people of all ages. There's also a place for people of all different levels of languages. And then who knows, maybe at some point they may decide they want to learn more about French. This has been an awesome conversation. Very, very fun. I'm going to take one more Thank shot. You. What is next on your agenda? What are, what are you working on that? The ideas that I'm thinking about right now are 
how important it is to uh, bring the opportunity uh, to learn a language to everybody. As I say, right now, fewer than 20% of our children and most adults don't really have an opportunity to learn another language. It's hard when you're working and you're busy. There aren't a lot of really accessible opportunities. So we really have to uh, get that opportunity in the schools and in our communities and in the workplace to more people. It's gotta be affordable. It's gotta be accessible. And that can mean um, somebody who is living in a remote location, somebody possibly who's mobility impaired. There have to be opportunities for them too Absolutely. to learn a language. And the other thing really I am thinking a lot about is um, this need really to try to make the world a better place and the role that multilingualism plays in that. And that can be locally, it can be um, using your language skills to help somebody locally who may be struggling to learn English, who doesn't learn English, who doesn't know English yet. It could be certainly on the world stage working at, through some UN initiative or through some NGO initiative or going into Peace Corps. But it's that idea of actually using languages to make the world better. I mean, we've all been through so much the last few years. Um, you know, uh, our world needs a little uh, TLC right now. I absolutely love that response. Well, this has been way, way fun. This has been so, so cool. Again, we've been talking to Dr. Kathleen Stein Smith. Kathy, thank you so much. If somebody wants to buy your book or check out your blog, where can we send them? Um, first, thank you, Jesse. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm so happy to have had the opportunity to talk to you uh, tonight about so many interesting topics. And you can, you can find me um, on Facebook, on Twitter, and um, you can certainly find my books on probably on Amazon. Um, but um, if, if you haven't, if anybody has a question about language, about French specifically or about languages in general, they can also, I mean, I'm happy to um, give my email address. You can reach me at Kathy Steinsmith at Gmail. That is awesome. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it, Ken. Thank you so much. This has been a super you, interesting Jesse. conversation. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesse. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.